heart, soul, mind, and strength. These are the four dimensions of human health. This is where growth happens, and it's addicting. Welcome to the Growth Junkies Podcast. Welcome to the Growth Junkies Podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Ben, and I'm here with Kent, who's the other host. And we're very excited to be back with you. Uh, I feel like excited gets is like an overused word, Kent. What do you think about that? You know, Ben, I'm excited too. It's an exciting day because we have an exciting guest yes. on the show today. Well, I'm going to use the word exhilarated because oh. I'm sick and tired of hearing people say excited. Exhilarating guest it on is, the show. Yes. And so today we actually have in studio, and I will share the story here in a second about, about uh, how interesting it is that we met Grant, but we have Rudy... 2.0 in studio with us today on the Growth Junkies podcast. I think he's Rudy 2.5 because he's six foot six. <laughs> he's a lot bigger than the original Rudy. And you, so for any of you listeners out there who might be wondering who Rudy was, let's give a, a brief recap. And Grant, feel free to fill in any gaps if I miss them. But sure. mm-hmm. so back years ago, I think this was in the late 90s, there was a movie that came out about Rudy Rudiger who was a football player. I don't know if you can go as far as to say he actually was a football player at Notre Dame, but he was on the team, right? And he made a play. And he made a play. Yeah. And they made a movie out of it. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty fascinating movie. Grew up wanting to play for the Irish, had this vision, dream, went to Holy Cross, struggled to get in, finally made the team, got beat up on the practice squad, all that. And then eventually, because of his work ethic, at least as the story's told, by the movie, he gets to go to a game and suit up, and they put him in at the end during the Rudy, Rudy, Rudy chance. <laughs> he runs in, makes a tackle, and then they carry him off the field. Mm-hmm. Did I get all that right, Grant? That's, that's and they pretty, did carry him off the field, right? That's, that's a, real? That's a good synopsis. That's oh. a very good synopsis. Well, yes. thank you very much. Yeah. You, you're welcome to come on again at some point <laughs> in the future. But, okay, you. so hold on, though. You know, Grant is here with us. Rudy, his, his challenge was he was small not like super athletic and everything was stacked against him. Grant is not a small <laughs> human being. I mean, if you take into account inflation of football players since when he <laughs> played in the seventies, yeah. I think I am, you know, would even at six, six would still be considered, you know, not the small, the, not the largest well, uh, that, defensive line. Then that makes there. you and me tiny, Ben, Yeah, tiny. Well, I'm fat and tiny, <laughs> tiny and height wise. I am five foot ten, which is like average. Right. You're taller than me. I'm six one, and I used to think I was tall. That ain't tall. I guess that's true. What no. are people drinking and eating these days? I don't know, man. Anyway, how we met Grant. So this is one of the really kind of cool parts of this story. In our space where Love and Transformations headquartered, there are other organizations. One of them is a law firm. And Grant is actually in law school right mm-hmm. now, studying to to get his degree. And we know the folks from the law firm here and, and have a pretty good relationship with them. There's also an assistant to the entire space in, in which we exist. And she sent me an article about Grant's story. And I read it and I'm going, dude, this is Rudy 2.0. Like, this is out of control. And no one would have known this. And Grant comes in and sits down and works. <laughs> I knew that you played football at Notre Dame, but had no idea for the context of the story. So then I read it and I'm like, we've got to have this guy on the podcast. Yeah, well, he's got to be here because we didn't realize this guy's sitting right here. I knew he was tall, but that's all I knew. (laughs) But then we read this article and it wasn't just any article. Wasn't it like USA Today? 
It was yeah, it was yeah, like a big article. It, yes, it was it was a originally in the Courier Journal, which is in my hometown newspaper uh, from Louisville, Kentucky. But then they were part of the USA Network, and so it was picked up on USAToday.com. It was big news, and it kind of made a splash because. You're kind of, uh, we say Rudy 2.0, but you kind of lived that life. You had that experience. I did. I did. And, and part of it, you know, I, I, I had seen Rudy my whole life. Like uh-huh. I, I, so I, I mentioned I was born in Kentucky. I moved to South Bend. My parents have a business in South Bend. And, and I grew up just Notre Dame was the goal in my life. Uh-huh. And I, football wasn't actually my best sport. Track was my best sport. I was a. I did not run. I threw things. I I, <laughs> I um, could throw the discus really far, and I had other college plans. And um, I, right after prom, I went to. I was all set to go on a different route with my life. I went up to the Blue Gold game, and I was just walking around the Homs Notre Dame bookstore, and I saw a Notre Dame alumni polo and I realized that I'd never get to wear one. And mm-hmm. on that moment, I, I, I changed my whole life plan. Uh, that next Monday I applied to Holy Cross and I was in by the end of the week and wow. it just completely changed what I was going to do with my life. But you did grow up playing football. I, I, I played football. I played football in middle school. I played it in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, Never thought I'd play again. Um, but the cool thing is when I did, so I went to Holy Cross, um, spent every day. That was an interesting experience because literally I'd drive up and I'd see the Golden Dome on the right-hand side and there was a stoplight and I'd have to turn left. And I always wanted to turn right. And um, <laughs> so, lit- I mean, that was that was a good lesson in contentment, uh, being very content with where I was because all my friends were so excited and so happy and they loved their school and they loved where they were at no matter what university they were at. And I loved what I, I loved Holy Cross and everything that it gave me, but there was still this desire to be able to make it across the street. I To just go to school or to go to school and play football at that time when you were at Holy Cross? So it was, I still say like I thought I, I was done playing football. Um, like it was a, it was a dream to do that. I, it was after I got denied twice and I was on my last chance. I was sitting there and it was when Emmett Smith and, and Jerry Rice were in the um, getting inducted into Canton in their Hall of Fame speech, and they just talked about you know their perseverance and what they and, and their journey to football. And I was like, well, I want to give it one more shot. Mm-hmm. I transferred in, and Notre Dame is I, I still think one of only two schools that plays full contact dorm or intramural football. Oh, and so I played intramural full contact football for the Soren College Fighting Otters. And, <laughs> fighting um, Otters. The Fighting Otters. That's nice. right. Uh, we were the oldest dorm on campus. We've been around since 1888. Uh, we even seceded from the university during the <laughs> Vietnam War, um, that, which is another story. But but um, I got to play on the dorm football team, and, and it was great because I just you know was just out there having fun playing for the love of the game. And that's when I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to try this one more time. And I, uh, but ironically, though, we, we made it to the dorm championship game in the Notre Dame Stadium. And I was like, how cool is this? Oh. I get to be in the stadium. Wow. I'll never get to, you know, be in here again. Um, but I, it, it turned out that I did. 
So you have to know how that happened because you you just said you know you're Holy Cross. You were applying to get into Notre Dame. Right. You had one last chance. You were down to your last opportunity. Right. And just like the movie, yeah. right? Yeah. Literally. You got in. To you get got in. to Notre Dame. Yes. So you you first went in because you wanted to go to Notre Dame and graduate yeah. and wear the sweatshirt. Right. But then you decided when you were there, I think I'll go out for football. So right. how did that happen? Did you just try out? I did. I mean, I, I went in. Um, there was an application packet that I had to fill out, and I was very fortunate that my my schedule worked, that I was able to make all the practices, and they uh, put me on a basically a 30-day like probationary period that says, you know, we'll go through spring ball and see how you can hang. Mm. And uh, at the end of it, um, I, I, I had made the team. And I, I, I say that, you know, I mean, I, in some ways, I, 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 you know, I, I recognize I was a glorified tackling dummy, but <laughs> I, I, it was an incredible thing to be a part of, uh, to be a part of something. I mean, it, was, it really hit me when we went to the same blue-gold game where I had had this really kind of transformative, transformative experience. And I was sitting there and this sweet like 10 year old kid like could barely eat his breakfast sitting next to me. Like he was like so nervous cause I was a football player at Notre Dame. Oh, and I'm wow. just like, I remember being that. I remember wow. being that kid. And, and so it was just great to, you know, experience it on the other side, but then also yeah. try to make it really special for them. So, so you were like on the, like one of the themes of the Rudy Rudiger movie is that he was on the practice squad. Mm -hmm. He was on the team, but he's on the practice squad. And so yes. he'd kind of get beat up on the practices, Oh yes, but he was notorious for giving everything he had. Mm -hmm. And that kind of made some of the players upset because he was raising the bar as far as energy. Yes. Did you have that experience there too? I, I mean, to some degree, yes. I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's, Football practice is, you know, something it's hard to do. Every, you, they want you to give your best every single moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, and sometimes, you know, some players would, you know, they'd, they'd be pushing you to even go even harder mm -hmm. um, because, you know, the, the players that go on and go that are D1 athletes, mm -hmm. um, they want that every play. Um, sometimes, yeah, I mean, it was sometimes they push me. Sometimes I was trying to push them. Um, but it was it was a learning experience from the get go. Um, having not played football for a couple of years, right. it was uh, my, my the first day of my first practice. My I mean I I came from I applied on a I went in on for to talk with him on like a I heard about it on a Monday. I went in on a Tuesday. I was at practice on Wednesday. Oh wow. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, and my mom still like I remember telling her and my dad and they just didn't believe it until I sent him a picture of my locker and it had my name on it and she's like what is happening? Wait, and you, so you had already gone through walk-on tryouts at that point? No, that that the that tryout was the, was the tryout was like you're going to practice. <laughs> and you're gonna like they threw me out my first day against the number well, one offense. He's six foot six, so like you're gonna play. But you're how did you even there. get that invitation? Right? It was <laughs> so because to just show up. I mean, there's one thing to have played football in your past, but like two years you hadn't really played football other than the dormitory, right? Like intramural stuff, I guess. Mm -hmm. or, or was there a two year? I mean, the the, the Soren College Fighting Otters had a great pedigree um, <laughs> for. But there there was a few people that did this. I mean, I mean that's one of the things of D1 athletics. They need a good amount of uh, walk-on support um, to yeah. to carry on a practice. Mm -hmm. um, football is is a sport where you know injuries happen, and, yeah, and right. so the numbers worked out very mm -hmm. much in my favor, and I was able to seize the opportunity. Like I, I recognize that there a lot of it was, 
it was God having a hand in my life and the opportunity like presenting itself. Um, but you know, I think it's Lou Holtz that said, you know, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Yeah. And so I just tried to be prepared for the moment. And uh, a lot of that was just, you know, making sure I showed up and tried to make it through the drills. Um, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't, I didn't, don't think I did anything spectacular on the field, but I learned so much and was able to be a great, I uh, hope, a great support for my teammates um, in their process and their journeys. So well. I got to ask, so like with Rudy Rudiger, so when he did his thing, he kind of was told in advance, like, you're not going to see the field. You right. know what I mean? You're just going to practice. Right. You have no chance. Your situation, did you ever aspire that you'd actually get to see the field and suit up and play? What I really appreciate about my defensive coordinator, Bob Diaco, was he graded everyone. It was every morning we had, it was almost like a stock market uh, ticker sheet. And he ranked every single person and they were, and how they were trending, if they were bullish, if they were bearish. And he just was very upfront about this is where you are. Mm. And then he had clear roles of whether you're a starter, a journeyman, or if, if you're um, a practice player. And so I, I recognized my role. And I knew that my role was not going to be go on and see the field. Mm -hmm. But I knew that, you know, for me, every Wednesday afternoon was was the Super Bowl. And if I didn't do my job mm -hmm. to look like Pittsburgh's defense for our <laughs> offense, then come Monday or then come Saturday, it was going to be a, a rough go. And so I, I, you know, me and the other walk-ons tried really, really hard to do a good job to give the the off the the starters the best look that they could, mm -hmm. and and I really appreciated Bob Diaco's approach. And basically, there wasn't any question, right? Like if if I knew where I was, I knew where I was each week. I, I, there wasn't any mystery in the process, mm -hmm. so I could focus on doing the best job instead of spending a lot of time worrying about you know, am I going to get to do this or am I going to do that? I knew I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, the blue gold game, which is the inner squad practice game, wasn't expecting to see it. And by the end of the game, I was thanking God for TV timeouts because I was just catching my breath because <laughs> I spent so much time in the in the spring game that I was uh, and it's it's it was right at the beginning. Like uh, I wish I would have gotten a second chance at it, but. Yeah, it wasn't pretty, but I uh, it was a, it was it was a whirlwind experience for sure. Because I did yeah. see photos of you mm -hmm. in a Notre Dame uniform mm -hmm. in what looked like a stadium of people. Oh yeah, and I got to I mean I got to dress. I, I dressed for all the home games. I dressed cool. for the national championship against Alabama. I dressed against when we played Miami in Chicago at Soldier Field. And then I also got to dress for my first game, which was uh, against the Naval Academy in Ireland. Whoa! So, wow! Yeah, that was that was a pretty incredible. So experience. you did get to dress and watch these games from the field oh, as a team member. Absolutely, full helmet, incredible. everything. Like I mean, I they you know every home game I felt fully a part of wow. the team, and you know keeping everyone excited and energized uh, on the sidelines along with the other walk-ons, and just you know trying to do my role. Did you ever? I mean, think that your number could ever be called? Like, were you ever in a place where you thought, like, I could actually get called into a play? Like, there's a minute left. 
you know, <laughs> you're winning. There's not much to lose. Like, uh, I, I, I mean, might get thrown in there. I mean, you know, like my mom has strong feelings about, and I'm sure <laughs> she would say different things. But for me, I mean, it goes back to, and I, and I think it's a testament of a, of, of a good leader is making sure your team know, like your team knows what their roles are, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and so for me, I mean, sure, I had hopes. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, or hoped at these things, but I never, I never felt like I was told, like they followed through on what they told me. Mm-hmm. And so I knew the expectations mm-hmm. and, and kind of what was delivered. And so it was, it was, it was a really cool experience. But the, but the yeah. cool thing though, about this whole football thing, and I, you know, it started Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the week before that though, I know we mentioned oh, that, yeah, this was, is good. was I, was I got to live the Hoosiers movie <laughs> the week before I met, I'd got to live the Rudy movie. Wait, hold on. Who like, is this guy? What? So <laughs> you can't have two movies. It was, <laughs> you only get, none of us seem to get one. Yeah, it, it was, it, it was, a, I mean, so just like so much of the, the, the Rudy movie paralleled with my life, the, the team that I was coaching for, we were a, a small town team. You know, we were a team here in Indiana and we were playing, um, they had won, I think, five games the year before. Mm-hmm. They had a coach who had not been coaching for pre- for many years who came to coach this team, a player who hadn't played the year prior mm-hmm. who came back and was on this team. Did you have an alcoholic assistant coach? I won't, uh, Other people have other stories that I won't <laughs> talk about. No, not to my knowledge. Um, or at least that was that guy, right? That's but right. I, I can remember I, the movie. I, I was the assistant um, and... I got to sit firsthand and watch a team that had won five games make it um, to within one game of the state tournament, state championship game. Wow. And we played in the best basketball game I've ever seen. Our team was small, like all under five, six. And what? We're, pl- we're playing a team that was the number one or number two team in the state. They had people all over six, five as their wow. starting line, including – Glenn Robinson III, who was <laughs> the next year was playing for Michigan in the national championship game, and the next year was playing in the NBA. Wow. So wow. we're playing in that game, and so we're there at the morning of the regional on a game that, I mean, they didn't think we'd win the sectional. They didn't think, like, I mean, going back in Indiana, for those who don't know, Hoosier hysteria is its own animal. Like, they <laughs> had, we had a selection show just like they do for March Madness. We got this draw. We had to win three games, the toughest route to get to the regional. And we won all three games in just magic fashion. But then in the regional semifinal, so we're playing this team that's just unbelievable. And we we win it in front of 10,000 people. Like and it came down to the oh wire where just like in Hoosiers, like we had we had four free throws and Glenn Robinson the third had four free throws and oh. we made more free throws than they did and we won the game. Did Best you play basketball any game of those seen. games in like the classic old wood floor gyms with the balconies like in well, the movie? Well that's what makes it best is my home gym was John Wooden's favorite gym where he won four sectional championships oh. himself. <laughs> so like when I would walk into the gym, we had the old wooden individual seats um like i mean the if if those places could could have echoes like absolutely like i coached in a gym that john wooden did and we won our sectional championship and then we go and (laughs) go to the regional do that and it was like oh this is awesome you know i got to live hoosiers what you know i'm pretty fortunate and then the next monday 
is when I got the call to come in and talk to Notre Dame football team. He what in the were, world? He probably thought he was charmed. He's like, man, what kind of life do I have? It was, <laughs> I was, I was very, very aware of just how how blessed that that time of my life was. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it's it's still hard, like thinking back on it. It's hard to believe um, yeah. when you look back and, and and I think about it, and I'm so proud of what that basketball team was able to accomplish and 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 what the you know. My teammates and and my teammates mostly, but my teammates and I were able to accomplish yeah. uh, that during that that season in 2013 for Notre Dame. So, can we talk about lessons? Because I feel like there's a lot of lessons in both of those. Yeah, there's like a thousand more questions I want to ask, but reality is we got to get on to the business, yeah. I mean, like right? like the, the things that we learned because again, this was the growth junkies, yeah. right? So you know, we 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 talked about this before we came on. The reality is that what can we sort of draw from your experience? Things that you learned from the Hoosiers experience and the Rudy experience, right. obviously perseverance is something you you, know, you did. Right. Uh, maybe um, uh, you know, uh, in, in enduring through uh, disappointment. Maybe holding on to hope. Uh, maybe uh, like what life lessons can we apply as growth junkies? Things that might help us develop as human beings. I mean, all those things. I mean, with with sports, it, you know, grit is. Grit, perseverance, that's like the price of admission. Mm. Um, when I think about what what I took from each individual experience, in the basketball one, uh, I really saw the time that goes into like really preparing to, be, to do something in an excellent way. Mm. Um, at Notre Dame, that's where I added and learned really the effort that is needed to differentiate yourself um, between talent. Uh, between people, because uh, I, I think there's a good reason parents who of NCAA Division One players are much more likely to have their kids be NCAA Division yeah. One players. I think it's part, partly because you you pierce behind the veil and kind of see. Mm-hmm. And for me, I recognized that sure there were some talent that I could I, I don't think I could have touched no matter what I did, mm-hmm. but there were other players who got regular time that they put in a lot more time and effort from the time they were probably eighth grade through college to get to the position that they wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And so that was a really eye-opening moment of the time and effort that you have to put in when you're uh, working toward a goal. And in in this case, for a lot of my teammates, it was either the NFL or going going to a national championship game or getting a D1 scholarship. So that time and effort really comes into play. Mm -hmm. And in this newest chapter of my life where I'm in in law school, the, the third kind of button on this triad is you, you can, there's a lot of things that want your time and effort. You mm-hmm. know, there's a lot of things that you can dedicate your time and effort to. But that third piece for me that I've, that I've learned is, is there's to really think strategically about where you're putting your time and effort mm-hmm. to make sure that you're putting it into something that is, one, that you're getting the best bang for your buck, that you're getting reward um, and a good ROI on your time mm-hmm. and effort that's putting you towards the goal that you want, um, but also just being willing and ha- being courageous enough to say, you know what, this isn't working. Mm-hmm. This time and effort is being wasted. I need to readjust myself if I really want to make my dreams come true. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's, you know, if I look back on, you know, the last decade, of my life, I'm, I'm thinking three of the biggest lessons, you know, practical growth minded lessons are, you know, 
where do I, how do I put my time? What's the amount of effort I'm willing to do? Mm-hmm. And what is my strategy about how I'm putting the time and effort into it? Wow, he sounds like he could host this podcast. <laughs> that he was very concise. Yes, because I'm hearing I'm hearing you say is <laughs> there's no substitute for hard work. No, I think it's an important point. True. I think a lot of times we think like you know like okay my my boys okay so my boy my oldest son just started playing basketball. Mm-hmm. And he's brand new to it. He's, he's been at it for like, like 12 weeks now. And they've been playing this season and they've had a pretty good year. And he's progressing quickly for a guy who just started. Right. But a lot of his teammates have been playing for years. So he's got a lot of catching up to do. But he likes to think he'll just wake up and be an all-star. Right. The reality, there's, there's no shortcuts in sports. Even those with extrem- extremely ta- talented abilities have to work hard. Right. So practice, 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 effort, effort, effort. Sounds like you have to embrace that, right? If you want to develop and grow, you got to work hard. Absolutely. Um, you know, you. I, I think over the last year, we've heard a lot of about Kobe and, and his work ethic. You know, there's the last dance that showed Michael Jordan in very mm-hmm. intimate detail behind the scenes. Right. You hear the stories of Tom Brady mm-hmm. and and just his effort that he puts in, and and I think there's we we've, I think the. The thing that movies do is we glorify the the, the key moment, the the Joe Montana pass yeah. at the end of the game to the you know, go to the Super Bowl, right. right? And we think of those, and as and I know as a kid, I was growing up, and you know I wanted to think about like making that last second shot, and I always you know would dream of those things, but I've come to realize that it's you. I used to think like, oh yes, you, you work really, for me as a high school athlete, I wanted to work really, really hard in practice. Yeah. And then I wanted, you know, but I, then I wanted to get a chance to play. But what I've come to learn is I have to work really, really hard to get ready for practice. <laughs> so that way in practice, I can make it perfect. So that way in the game, it's flawless. And there was... Joe Montana shared a quote from one of his coaches where he said, you shoot for perfection because if you shoot for perfection, greatness is within reach. Mm-hmm. So I want to transition into more of a personal growth question of like looking back on your character as a person from entering into all of those experiences and kind of where you are now. Cause I realized, and we didn't talk about this yesterday when we were chatting, but so I, I played a competitive sport at the professional level. I played professional golf and I realized at a certain point to, to what you were talking about, there's talent out there that I will never have. And you just realize, and for me, that was a bit demoralizing when I, when I would just stand around and see, because not only was there the, the time when I got a chance to compete at that level, but then I watched those players for over a decade up close and personal. And I realized there's just a level that I would never attain to. I just don't have it in me doesn't exist. And the time and effort and hard work got me to a certain place. But then uh, I just remember that being a little bit demoralizing <laughs> for me of, of going, well, I'm just never going to have that ability. Mm-hmm. But the character things that happened in my life, even part of that recognition mm-hmm. that uh, I'm just not designed or meant for this. Mm-hmm. It, there's, there's something that you have to do mentally and in your character to, to navigate and enjoy the experiences that you've had and those things that have contributed to your life. So like from a personal growth standpoint in your character, like who were you when you went into all of that and who are you now? And then who do you aspire to be? Hmm. Wow. 
at first I'd say I think I thought of it a little bit differently because I would look at it as what I would look at what would it take for me to get to where those people who have God-given talent to be on that level and sometimes that work was more more sacrifice than I could possibly give up mm -hmm. and because I wanted to have a family or different things so as I right. think about my life now when I think about you know career path and different things there are I could there are certain avenues that that I could take that would put me in a really great position for my career but I choose not to put my time and effort in those things because I want to put them in my family because they're they're more important and so I think that perspective of you know how, how valuable my time and effort is and like what do I want to be good at mm -hmm. knowing that there's only you know there's you know, 24 hours in a day. I remember I was at church last year. My pastor told me how many hours were in a week and I almost ran out of the church because I was so, because <laughs> as a law student, I was like, there's got to be more than that in a week. But I, um, but I, but I, but there's limited time. And so you, what can't happen is you can't accomplish everything in the world. And sometimes to accomplish certain things take so much of yourself that you sacrifice more than you'd ever want to give up to get it. And mm. so for me, like that's my family, my kids, my wife, that I want to spend time there. But it's always this balance of how do I put my time and effort into something that I can have a great career, but also I want to be a great dad and a great husband. Mm -hmm. So, to, I mean, to answer your question, there's a lot of humility that I learned going through, you know, being a walk-on um, because you're not the guy. Mm -hmm. you're, you're not the guy. Um, and so you learn to really appreciate everyone who's on the journey. So there will be moments when you're the guy, there'll be moments or when you're the person, <laughs> there'll be moments like when you're, you're in the limelight and it's all about you and how do you care for those around you? So yeah. I, I like the, the experience made me a really great person cause I could see the way that, you know, some of the people like would treat me and they would, some of them would treat me exceptionally well. And I, I'm forever grateful for my teammates who treated me just like anybody else. And, and so that I learned a lot of, about humility and, and in terms of myself, where I want to go. I mean, in my outside of sports, I, I think both as a coach, I just, I loved helping people hmm. and I loved helping my players in my career that I've had thus far before law. I loved helping people. And so I see myself just having a greater ability to help people um, mm -hmm. as I you know, hopefully become a lawyer here in two years. <laughs> help them into jail, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> help them stay out of jail, maybe. Yes. No. Yeah, no, no. It, but um, I'm... I'm excited for the future, but it, it definitely, I, I think, and not so much changed me, but made me aware of, I get to choose how I use my time mm -hmm. and what I do with that is important. Mm -hmm. So if I'm, you know, if I, if I, 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 that's why I'm choosing to make time to coach my son's t-ball team, because I want to share mm -hmm. that with him, mm -hmm. because even though, I have to do a lot of studying. I don't want his only memory to be dad had his nose in a book mm -hmm. um, because there's, I don't, I don't want my kids and there's nothing wrong with, you know, people, I, you know, 
with people who go off and accomplish great things and their kids are like, wow, my dad did this great thing. But in my, in my perspective, I don't want to be distant to where my son is proud of something that I did far away. Mm-hmm. But I, the first and foremost, I want him to know that, that I love him and that he, that I love both all my, all my kids mm-hmm. and that they are proud of me for what I did for them mm-hmm. in a real connected personal way. Mm-hmm. And so would you say that's the dream? Like as far as specifics are concerned, because there was a lot of general things in there. But yeah. like when you look at the future, you're going like specifically if you had to articulate a dream of what you would if you could architect it, is that what it would look like? I'd say I ha- I'm have the dream right now. Mm-hmm. Like when wow. I when I when I was interviewing for colleges like someone asked me what success was and I'm like, I don't think success is found in a wallet. I think it's found mm-hmm. in, you know, a family that loves each other and that is, you know, in, in, in that type of environment. And I have, uh, two amazing kids, one on the way. I have an incredible mm-hmm. wife. I'm so, so blessed in, in that regard that I can't, I mean, like, yes, I have career ambitions. Yes, I have things in, in that way. But but for me, and this actually goes back to one of the most important lessons that I learned, which was at Holy Cross, which was learn about contentment mm-hmm. and to be content with where you are mm-hmm. and to recognize when you have a good thing. And, and that's one of those, this is one of those situations where mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm, I'm very content, but because I recognize how good that I have it right now. So this, I think I want to, there's something I'm hearing and I want to kind of put this into words. I, what I'm hearing from you, and I think it's really powerful. It's a really important growth point is really to know yourself and, and, and be okay with yourself and leverage your strengths. So it's okay to like, you know, in the Bible, they use the term like your lot or your portion, right? Everybody has their lot or their portion. It's the ability to embrace that through humility and contentment. Yes. And say, this is what I'm here to do. And so you've embraced that. And for a season, it was, you know, coaching the basketball. And then it was playing on the football team. And now it's going to law school. It's being a husband, being a father. It's about embracing who you are and being okay with that. Absolutely. This is who I am. And I hear a lot of, you know, how I use my time and my energy and my resources according to the way you're made to use them. Right. So it's being okay with Mm. who you are and leveraging your strengths. And it seems to me like your strengths probably line up well with law school. You mm-hmm. discovered something that said, I should be an attorney. Like this really suits mm-hmm. me. Right. And I think one of that, I mean, that's a really great point because I, I've been comfortable with myself for, I mean, as, as far as I can remember. And I think some of that is, is I trust that God made me the way that I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And if he made me the way that I'm supposed to be and he doesn't make mistakes and I need to trust that, that I'm the way that I am. Mm-hmm. And there are things that I can improve and there are things that I can grow on. Mm-hmm. But I, but there is that a certain comfort in your own person that you have to, you have to love yourself. Yeah. And if you don't um, have that um, recognition that of your own self-worth, then it's, it's difficult to go out and do other things and to put your time and effort into other things if you don't recognize and are comfortable with your own self. You know, and, and this is to, to his testimony here. Um, it, it's credit to you. you. Here you are working in the same office that we're in, and it's not like you walk up to us and be like, hey, everybody, I'm like Rudy 2.0. Right. Hey, everybody, I live right. the Hoosier's life. 
you didn't need that. You're very content in your own skin, happy to be in law school and be, you know, interning here and all that. That's a good thing for you. And there's no boasting. There's no like, so uh, like I keep thinking of um, uh, Napoleon Dynamite, like, is, is Uncle Rico, or what's <laughs> yeah. you know, who like is always living in the glory days. Always going back to Napoleon. Right. You, you don't have to live that way. Like you don't yeah. look back on those things and you don't draw your security and strength from where you once were. You're in the present. You're in the moment. You, you said you're living the dream now. Right. Is what you said. Right. Very much present, present minded um, and forward looking. Um, yeah, that's healthy. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Grant, we uh, really appreciate you taking the time to do this because uh, there are specific things we're trying to get across to our audience. And mm-hmm. when we think about what would make a, a good guest on the Growth Junkies, we've had various people on. Uh, you're in a, a short list of <laughs> some pretty neat people, one being a guy named Brian Dickinson, who's one of two people to solo Everest. Mm-hmm. in the Himalayan database, and he has a great story. But to have your story on, to have you share what you did, so much about qualities and virtues and perspectives that mm-hmm. we continually talk about with mm-hmm. our tribe of, of people out there, of growth junkies. And so yeah. maybe we'll have you back on at some point in the future Anytime. to talk more about, uh, partly because of what you said there at the end, of being comfortable mm-hmm. with yourself. There's so many people today who are struggling with anxiety Right. Yeah. Life feels unstable for them. It's constantly mm-hmm. moving and unpredictable. And I think a lot of that anxiety goes away when you're content with who you are yeah, and, and, and life's not changing. Absolutely. And that was that was of my own anxieties and concern about an uncertainty about my life mm-hmm. in, in when I started college that I had to, mm-hmm. if I wasn't content, I would have drove myself crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially as half my class got in Notre Dame the first time. Oh. And so then I was walking the halls mm-hmm. with without my best friend from school mm-hmm. and hearing about all the exciting things he gets to do, uh-huh. uh, which, you know, looking back, uh, it saved me $50,000 in student debt. So yeah. actually, <laughs> the silver lining. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, you, I mean, but that also goes to show that you never, you, you know, the story's not written yet and you don't know exactly how everything's going to work out. And sometimes... You know, I'm I'm really glad I don't have that fifty thousand dollars <laughs> and the extra lesson in contentment. So I'll, I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. Oh, things really do sense. work out. Yeah, that's a great lesson right there. Yeah. What a great note to end on. I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Thanks a lot for for taking the time, Absolutely. like I said, to do this, and uh, we just really appreciate that. And um, we uh, hope that this has been beneficial to you, our listeners, hearing from Grant and his story, uh, Rudy 2.0. And if you want to learn more about uh, the Growth Junkies podcast or Love and Transformation Institute, you can do that at loveandtransformation.org. And uh, also, we are following the four dimensions of human health, our curriculum and other podcasts that we do, as well as our leadership collaborative events around the country uh, called LeaderCo. So you can find out all about those things on our website, as well as uh, potential upcoming episodes. Also, follow us through Instagram and Facebook, where we have our social media. This has been the Growth Junkies podcast. We look forward to being with you next time.